This episode is brought to you by The Amazing Adventures of the Afterbirth of Jesus, The Untold Story by Peterson Toscano and illustrated by Joey Hartman Down. Bizarre, original, and surprisingly moving, Bible scholar and performance artist Peterson Toscano and artist Joey Hartman Dow share the untold story of Hagar, the holy placenta. Weaving in Bible scholarship with contemporary issues, The Amazing Adventures of the Afterbirth of Jesus offers an absurd yet profound meditation on power, privilege, and family, humanity, unity, and divinity. Get this book and more at meetinghouse.xyz. That's meetinghouse.xyz. I hope you'll go find the book. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham. Bailey Brauner is the pastor of two congregations in the United Methodist Church in Alaska. She graduated from Boston University School of Theology with an MDiv and a certificate in Religion and Conflict Transformation. Focused on creating spiritual spaces for people who have experienced religious trauma, she is also open in her asexuality. And we're going to talk about all those things and more today in this episode. All right, let's start the show and start talking to Bailey. Um, what kinds of things are you like working on on the daily? So when I was working with Soul Force, um, something we were at that we were doing as a way of advocating for LGBTQ people in religious spaces were talking directly to universities and schools that had problems um, accepting their LGBTQ students. And I mean, that is incredibly difficult work. Um, Do you find yourself doing that kind of advocacy work right now? At this point, what I'm trying to do in my congregation, in my conference, um, wherever I find myself within the Methodist Church, is to help people to understand the reality of what's going on with this debate, with this um, conversation over human sexuality, because it's going to be, I want people to understand that regardless of if they are queer themselves, regardless of if they even know queer people, this is this decision is going to affect them in the way that we do church going forward. So for me, um, I held these info sessions on the state of the Methodist church in my, in my, uh, in my local churches and um, explained kind of how the government or governing bodies work in the Methodist church and, and how, uh, we define human sexuality, how that the um, homophobic language states itself now in the Book of Discipline in our church law book. And so that's kind of where I'm at now is bringing awareness to the fact that this is a reality that everyone's going to be affected by, whether or not they are straight or not. And uh, I hope that once we have come to a decision in the church that I'm able to kind of elevate those conversations and do more of that work that you're talking about. Because, I mean, it's it's clearly important and it's clearly um, harming people when we don't have those conversations. I mean, you're right. It's really, it's super necessary. Um, and I think that the part that you bring out the most is discussing, like, heterosexual people, you people who identify as straight or cis or all of those things, how does this conversation impact you? How does it, ma- how does it matter to you? How do you find yourself teasing that out in conversations? Because from my perspective, people who don't have to deal with it 
don't really have to ask the questions that you and I have been forced to ask because of our coming out experience. Right. Yeah, it's it's tough because we, I mean, we shouldn't need to, it shouldn't need to be about us for us to care about it, but the way that our world kind of works and the way, well, our country specifically works, that's the reality and that's what you kind of have to go off of. And so um, for me, it's uh, conversations that are even not even having to do with human sexuality sometimes can bring out um, people's people starting to care about the issue. And so like, um, if our, if our conference votes a specific way on this issue, um, here's what might happen to us in terms of, uh, us as a congregation in our building, which belongs to the United Methodist church. So we need to be thinking about this, not just so we can decide if queer people can be married in our church or if we're going to ordain, um, queer people. But, uh, if you want to, keep our building, we're going to have to abide by a by whatever happens at this general conference at this, um, with this vote. So even kind of taking people down from, um, that kind of heightened, I don't know, stress, I guess that can sometimes come from these beginning conversations about human sexuality. Uh, the bigger, the bigger questions or the, I guess the more mundane questions that I, as a queer person, don't think about like the building or like, um, how we're going to affiliate with the larger church or where our retirement things are going to go to. Those are sometimes good starting points. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a bizarre, they're bizarre conversations for me to have because coming out of, um, I was at seminary at Boston university, which is a very, uh, progressive school in a progressive area. And then I'm going, coming back to rural Alaska, which, uh, these conversations just aren't happening, um, at least openly and at least in the church. And so, having the the starting point sometimes is is difficult to to not go right into it because i would love to just like deep dive into like queer theology and like go just go deep into the conversations but that's not where everyone is and so it takes me like holding myself back quite a bit in order to um handle the conversations with grace especially as their pastor it's it's tough too so um just like baby steps into a conversation like putting the toes into the water is sort of where I'm at now until we have some more uh, clarity, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess you're doing all of the right things, right? <laughs> and it sounds like you have uh, so much passion um, and energy for this. I guess I, I have like uh, a question for you about the Bible itself. So, Many people, I think, right now in, in like liberation theology and progressive Christianity are just trying to figure out where they fit into um, the Bible canon itself and how much of it they actually believe is true and happened. Um, do you find yourself asking these large questions? And I guess my follow-up question is, you know, how, how do you believe the Bible to be true? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I will, I'll go into it. Well, I guess I would start by saying one of the things I love about um, being United Methodist and about belonging to the Wesleyan tradition is this, this thing we call the Wesleyan quadrilateral, um, which is basically, uh, it's saying that there are four equal parts um, that we gain our 
um, I guess, knowledge or faith basis on in their scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. in a lot of, um, I think in a lot of traditions or a lot of people believe that scripture needs to be the, the, um, the sole source of um, everything that we believe and everything that we do is based on scripture somehow. Um, and while that, while I believe that scripture is very important, I, as a, a Wesleyan person who believes in this Wesleyan quadrilateral, have to also take into consideration the fact that um, tradition, reason, and experience are also equal to scripture. And so what that allows me to do is in my work, in um, how I, when I live my life out, I'm able to say, okay, here's what the Bible says, or here's what, um, you know, this English translation of the Bible says, um, and, and does it, does it make sense to me? Does, does reason allow me to think that this is good and true as it's stated here, as someone's trying to tell me that it is understood? Um, have I, in my experiences, found this to, um, bear good fruit, this verse in, in scripture. Um, have I practiced this in my tradition over the years and has it continued to be, to bring goodness and joy to my life and to my faith experience? And so when I think about the Bible, I have a hard time trying to like tell people what the Bible does say and doesn't say, because First of all, like I'm not God and that's not really my job. And what I can do, what I can offer to my congregation, to people who are asking these big questions is say that, like, I believe that the Bible was divinely inspired. I don't believe God wrote the Bible and thank God for that. Um, I believe the Bible is a um, collection of stories about imperfect people who we as human beings can relate to now um, in some ways as we are imperfect beings just trying to do good, to do the best we can to get by in life. And so those are some things that I believe about scripture. And if you ask me tomorrow, I might have a completely different answer for, I guess, like the canon of things that I believe are um, completely true that are in scripture and the things that are not. So um, it really varies day by day, but I try to keep uh, myself grounded in in more than just scripture as um, a way to, to, to show faith and to be a Christian. What else keeps you grounded? Um, my family, my friends, um, yeah. the fact that there is goodness in the world and the fact that um, people who don't identify as Christian are the source of that goodness. That brings me a lot of, um, that brings me a lot of joy and um, reminds me of the ways that, Jesus is teaching us to live through like his stories. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot that, um, that keeps me grounded and it, I think it would be doing a disservice to people, to Christians, especially to say that as a pastor, like this, like the Bible is the only thing that grounds me because that's not true. And if that were true, then so many people who are grounded and who are experiencing like this joy and this love and this, um, this peace and this, uh, belief in something bigger than themselves, um, who don't necessarily read the Bible, who don't necessarily, uh, have all the answers for scripture. Uh, it would be doing a disservice to say that those people aren't experiencing faith and aren't experiencing, um, what I call God's love, um, but could be named something completely different for somebody else. 
when when did you start to really like I think that those of us who were raised um, Christian, we were just kind of like told to follow these things and we kind of did, but there has to be a point where you decide this, this uh, tradition is yours, you know? Do you have a time like that where you fell in love with the tradition or the Bible or spirituality or Jesus or God? Like, do you have one of those moments? Well, one of the moments for me, um, when I was in undergrad, I was part of this uh, campus ministry called Chi Alpha, which is associated with Assemblies of God. Um, I joined because it was a Christian group, and it was the only one at my school. They uh, have some very different theology than what I grew up believing, and because of that, being a part of that group allowed me to ask a question, like, is this something that I believe because this is what I've been told my entire life? Or is this something that I believe because I actually believe it? Because my core is telling me that like, this is what God is calling people to, um, how God is calling people to act. And so there was a moment, well, one of the moments was I was, I came back from, from um, an internship at my home church in Alaska. And that is when I first recognized that I was called to pastoral ministry. And I was so excited. And I was telling um, my friends at the campus ministry, I was like, guess what, guys, I'm called to be a pastor. Like, this is amazing. I'm so excited. Um, And the response was um, seemingly supportive until I was asked to preach at one of the services. And I go, I prepare, I like run through this sermon so many times. I'm so excited about it. And then I go and nobody shows up. Um, wow. Not my best friends, not my, you know, the the leaders in the group. None, nobody shows up. Wow. Um, wow. And it's not. It wasn't. It wasn't a weird day. It was. It was the right time, the right place. Um, but it was uh, this feeling of I'm going to support you up until this point where I just can't do it anymore. And that uh, began sort of this continuation of instances like that. Uh, we were at a retreat. And um, there was a kid who was wearing a scarf, which I guess was a very feminine thing to do to these people. And they um, called him um, a homophobic slur and just like right in front of this kid's face. And these were the leaders of the campus ministry. And so and, and those things like make me step back and and have to understand my own theology and understand like if I'm going to own this faith, if I'm going to live this out, if I'm going to say that I'm a Christian, then I need to realize um, what those words mean and how much power me saying I have a Christian, I am a Christian, and then um, doing certain things or not doing certain things, um, what those say about me and what those say about God and Jesus and the Bible. Um, So that was a huge moment for me is having to go face to face with um, an unaffirming theology and uh, this idea of belonging to a group of people who hold this theology, that's that really helped me to take ownership over my own faith and and say that like sometimes sometimes Christians like aren't like great people. Like sometimes we all mess up, but sometimes there's this level that is dangerous, even if people read the same Bible that I do. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool that you talk about that story as a um, a turning point. And I think I was reading your um, your website 
before we uh, started to talk, and one of the things I noticed on there is that you care so much about story because there is power in people telling about their life experiences and propping it up against uh, scripture and saying, hey, this is, this is also valid. Um, did, how did, how did, I, I mean, I don't know, like, where that story falls into place, like, in your coming out experience, um, but how did, how did that story then impact, you know, how you went to, to uh, theological seminary? Like, when did you start coming out after that, I guess is my real question. Yeah, so that story, I think, um, well, it was towards the end of my undergrad. And after that, I went to Seattle for like six months um, and was exposed to um, a very different culture than Western Montana. How is um, it different? <laughs> yeah, how, how is it not different? I would ask, I guess, probably is a better question. Um, but after that story, I realized that um, nothing about how I believed um, God was showing up in people's lives or nothing about, um, how Jesus spoke to me had really changed, but I realized that it was important for me to be more vocal about that. And so in order to do that, I wasn't at a place at that point where I could say, well, um, here's like A, B, and C reasons why that is wrongful teaching, why, um, you're doing, why you're causing trauma to these people's lives who like clearly are children of God in the same way that you are. Um, so I had to get educated and I had to pay more attention to what was going on around me. And that was the beginning point for me to start to like own this attitude of, um, being affirming of, um, caring about people in this way that was bigger than just including them or inviting them to, um, a potluck dinner on Sunday night, like, I, I had to take a bigger step like into my faith and I had to be um, more willing to be vulnerable with my own um, growing edges and my own like mistakes that I'm making. And that was a big, that was a big challenge for me because I like my bubble. I like to stay safe. I like to know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about it. Yeah. Um, but taking that step into um, this new territory allowed me to kind of open my thinking up and to accept different possibilities and to uh, learn new language for the things that I've always believed at my core, but didn't necessarily know how to express or who to express them to. Uh Um, And so from there I went to seminary and like, it was like the middle of seminary, I think um, when I went to this gender and sexuality 101 thing that our, um, that our queer student group uh, sacred worth was putting on and the facilitator uh, went through like the gender bred person and was like explaining the differences between um, sex and gender and uh, yeah. sexual orientation and all of that stuff, like the very basic, like one-on-one stuff. And then uh, we went through the acronym together and I um, was just listening and like reflecting and they got to the A, the asexual. And I was like, huh, interesting. Like I let it kind of, I, I absorbed that information And then um, at the time, I was in this abusive relationship that was um, incredibly difficult. And in that relationship, one of the things was that was discussed a lot was um, the idea of like sex drive and like high and low sex drive. And I mean, it's a long story. Even though we weren't having sex, this was still like a constant topic of conversation for us. Yeah. Um, 
And so I, I got out of that relationship. And then afterwards, I came back to this asexual thing. And I was like, okay, so maybe like nothing's wrong with my sex drive. Maybe it's like, like maybe asexuality is just like how I identify. And maybe yeah. like, I care so much about the queer community because um, I care about people, but also because I am a part of the queer community. And mm. so I took those things on and I, I tried on that identity and it, it worked for me, like in all of the ways that it, it should work in it. It was just like this long-term moment of like, oh yeah, this is like, this makes sense. This, this works on me and this works for me. And um, yeah, after that, I've, I've really just kind of been trying to understand myself in that context and, and trying to um, deepen my level of engagement with my own identity so that I can hopefully um, help other people to understand their own identity or to explore it or to um, learn more about other people's identities. So it's really just like opened me up more to like being more vulnerable and being more open to gaining new understandings about the world and about people and especially about the queer community. That is so cool. That is so cool. I don't think that I've ever really um, sat down and thought about asexuality, um, especially from a spiritual perspective. And so I'm wondering if you, as somebody who identifies as asexual, see yourself in the Bible. And I mean, and those of us who um, are queer have constantly been trying to, like queer Bible, st Bible stories. I think um, if you've ever listened to or read Peterson Toscano, he does that so well. Um, but we have found ways of, of, of seeing ourselves in the text. Um, are there places where you see yourself as well? I do. I think that, um, well, one thing that comes to mind, I wrote or I preached a sermon earlier this year at my church about um, Song of Solomon and yeah, how... juicy text. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. So, which is like very much like you wouldn't assume that like an asexual person would like relate to that text. But I kind of like, like you said, like queered the text a little bit and yeah. was able to like pull out this like great meaning. I think it's on my uh, blog. I'm not sure, but I'll look. Awesome. Um, but... I um, actually, I'm working on this devotional, and one of the <laughs> the things that I'm excited about writing about is um, asking the question about what we can learn about um, sex, about God, about relationships, about humanity from asexuality and from the things that we as asexual people um, experience that aren't necessarily uh, everyone's experience, but they're things that are able to be, um, they're, they're learnings and teachings that everybody can benefit from, and so... Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of, of kind of pieces to that, but some of the things like, uh, the idea of, um, underrepresentation and erasure and the ways that that plays out in a faith experience, um, purity culture, the, um, potential for deeper intimacy that asexuality offers. Yeah. And I see a lot of those themes like relating so much to like how God relates to humans, not in like a sexual sense, but like in the, in the way that like God wants this like deep and complex and, um, layered relationship with each of us. And, uh, through the stories in the Bible, we're able to unpack those things and we're able to take certain parts of that relationship. And we're able to look at, at each piece of that relationship and kind of understand God better through that. And I think that asexual people come at, um, come at the world from a different way because they're, is a piece of their 
because they don't experience sexual attraction, just, I mean, as an umbrella definition, that's what asexuality is. And, but with that, it doesn't mean that they're like not, not set up for relationships at all. It doesn't mean that they're not um, able to love people. It just means that there are different forms of attraction that are louder speaking than that sexual attraction piece. So I, um, I would have to like unpack it more to be able to get a succinct definition of how I think like I find myself like in the Bible as an asexual person, but it's definitely there and it's definitely, it shows up for me whether or not I am like putting on the asexual hat when I read scripture. I am so excited that you are writing a devotional for our Bible app. That is the one you're talking about, right? Yes. Okay, great. (laughs) Um, Because we've had over, I mean, um, even before I launched, I had um, a couple uh, ace people reach out and say, we would love to have something written for this demographic of people. And like just finding anybody with the ability to, you know, address what it is uh, these, these folks are asking for has just been so difficult. And it's difficult because I, I, you know, like a straight person trying to understand, you know, gays and lesbians, I have had such a hard time understanding more about, you know, asexuality only because I haven't had to, you know, Um, and that's, I guess, really unfortunate for me to say, but like, you know, it's absolutely, it's absolutely true. Um, But I know that the need is there. And um, recently I did find someone to write something about asexuality. And um, that person ended up writing something that was just so against it. I mean, it focused less on the um, asexual experience and more on uh, the denying yourself sex, you know, as if, uh, as if, you know, what Paul says about sex uh, was all true, that like you should not, I mean, that, that you should not be having sex and, and yada, yada. And it was, and I, fe- I just felt like it was so counterculture what we're trying to do with the app, which is talk about sex in a very healthy way. Um, which sounds like something you're going to be able to do. I hope so. I think, uh, yeah, I've had experiences like that. And I think part of the reason that it took me so long to figure out that um, I identified as asexual was because I was confusing it with um, purity culture. And I was being told, like, don't have sex till you're married, right? And and when you're told that, and I I thought I was, well, I talked about this on... um, queerology back in September, but I was, I was trying, uh, people were telling me that I shouldn't be like, I, it was going to be really hard for me to not have sex before I was married. And like, I was going to struggle so much and I just wasn't finding it that hard. And I thought it was because I was this like good Christian. Like I was pious for some the above other people who were struggling with it. But then, I mean, later on in life, I understood that like, there's a difference between like being, um, being asexual and choosing to be celibate um, because that's what like your religious environment teaches you. And so I hope that um, we're able to kind of uh, debunk the myths, I guess, that asexual people are uh, not sex positive or that they don't um, even that they they don't have sex ever because some asexual people do have sex and enjoy sex. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't there's no part of me that would ever say to somebody like, hey, I'm asexual, so you, like, shouldn't have sex. Like, I I feel like it's similar to, like, a gay person saying, like, 
hey, I'm gay, and so you, as a straight person, like, need to have sex with people of your same gender. Like, it's just silly to think that. And, um, yeah, so I hope I'm able to bring, like, that perspective a little better, at least my experiences, to um, that conversation on the app. What do you find in romantic relationships that really bonds you to another person? Um, Or, I mean, I guess, yeah, um, what things in... In, um, in relationships um, stick out for you when you're not constantly focused on that sex factor? Because honestly, it sounds like a big relief to not have to think about it. <laughs> it is. And I mean, I guess I found myself um, in relationships, like identifying as asexual, I found myself talking about sex a lot more. Um, mm. But it's been in a healthy way that's not... Um, this is expected of you. And so we need to figure out how it's going to work, but it's, um, let's talk about how, um, let's talk about like how on the spectrum you find yourself on a day-to-day basis or like why, um, this kind of intimacy is important to you or how, um, how you feel in your body versus how you feel like in your, um, in your mind, in your, like in your spirit, like how does, how does sex work like on a deeper level than just like a physical act? Um, and Mm. one of the things that I found a lot of joy and a lot of like freedom in, in terms of relationships as an asexual person is just that deepened level of communication, Mm -hmm. um, because it has to happen because if you're not, I mean, traditionally speaking in relationships, if you're not having sex after a certain amount of time, like maybe there's a problem is what people, I guess, assume. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a relationship as an asexual person, it has to come up because I don't, because there are no problems. It's just not, that's just not like, I just don't experience sexual attraction, uh, regardless of who you are, uh, regardless of your gender. Um, so that open level of communication and that freedom to like express myself and to uh, share uh, how I'm attracted to a person in a, a more a deep and full way than just, um, that I want to have sex with them or don't want to have sex with them. Like is so, is so free, freeing and, and like, it just, it's, it changed the game for me as far as relationships. Wow. This is just like a whole new world. I'm, I'm so excited for you that you were able to like put two and two together. Like, damn, that ginger, that genderbred man is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by Mission Year. Not your everyday mission trip and you don't have to learn a new language to participate because it all happens in your neighborhood. As an organization, they root themselves in the neighborhood. You can become a part of the local community, worship and serve alongside neighbors, and live into being advocates for solidarity and justice. With Mission Year, your work will be to fall in love with Jesus and the city, to live and grow into your gifts and purpose, to build beloved community across all dividing lines, and to advocate for justice in your neighborhood and world. Find out more and sign up online at missionyear.org slash program. That's missionyear.org slash program. Um, so when it comes to relationships, and I know you can't talk for like everybody, uh, all asexual people all together, but is marriage in the picture? Yeah, absolutely. Marriage and kids and like the whole thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, like, I, I think it, it's been hard to unpack and 
like you said, like, it's just not, asexuality is just not talked about. It's so underrepresented. And, and because of that, people don't know a lot about it. And um, even myself as an asexual person, like, I don't feel incredibly qualified for these conversations <laughs> even because I'm speaking from my own experience and, like, yeah. maybe, like, have heard, you know, a handful of others experience who identify as asexual. But, um, yeah, for me, the the difference is that um, I guess like each of us experience these different forms of attraction. So like um, sexual attraction, physical attraction, intellectual attraction, romantic attraction. However, uh, I don't know, probably there's more too, but um, the, each person kind of like has, has the ability, I guess, to like express themselves through those kinds of attractions. And for asexual people, um, at least people like on the far end of the asexual spectrum, I guess, um, they experience romantic, physical, intellectual attraction. They just don't have the sexual attraction piece in there. And so like when you're filling up your, your, your pie chart or whatever, like it's still a hundred percent, but it's just, there's just like three categories instead of four or four instead of five. Um, and so that doesn't change for me, at least, that doesn't change my desire to get married, my desire to um, have children or not have children, my desire to, like, make um, a home with somebody else. Uh, it just changes how I express the love that I have for the, the people that I'm in relationship with. How did um, coming out as asexual kind of reconfigure the way you saw purity culture? Because it had to, right? And purity culture is so tied into, like, how we see ourselves in marriage and how we see you, I mean, at least for me, when I was younger, seeing myself with like with kids, it was always from this um, perspective of, you know, there has to be somebody super masculine in in the role of a husband. And then, you know, and I'm going to set down this like journey of of, you know, two kids in a house and a car and. Um, and I feel like all of that feeds from this idea of purity culture where um, you're supposed to be like this, this, this perfect person until you get married and then you start engaging in sex. And um, I don't know, I feel like coming out as asexual just kind of like blows that out of the water. It, it does. And I, I guess for me, I haven't really, I think being engaged with the queer community in general, even before I like came out or whatever, um, really knocked that idea on its head. And I never really grew up with that super steeped into my brain. Um, but I was willing to, um, I mean, I was willing to like go ahead with some of those notions of purity culture, even though I wasn't taught that like, you need to wait. Um, you, you're going to have this like magical, like fairy tale experience. Like if you wait to kiss your partner when you're married or your husband, I guess in this case, um, and those sorts of like ideals were never a part of how I learned in my local church, but like my friends were telling me these things that they knew. And so I was confused. Um, because again, I thought all Christians were the same. And I thought that like, because one Christian believes this about the Bible and I hadn't heard it yet, like I was going to hear it later. So I might as well just like adopt that idea now. Um, mm. so I like, when I started to like engage more with the queer community and like really like dive into, to, um, dive into that community, which would later become, um, my community, like it, it helped me to, um, it helped me to like say like, absolutely not like this doesn't work for me. Um, because 
when I was just like around, when I was just like engaging in like straight culture, whatever that is, um, I just sort of like took it as the norm because I was like, oh, okay. So like, I'm just going to assume that this person didn't have sex until they were married. And I'm just going to assume that their like heterosexual relationship is like, um, I don't know, like a certain way, whatever I thought that, um, people were teaching me when I was younger. So, um, as an asexual person, I don't know that I personally have like a unique perspective to the rest of the queer community, but I do believe that like belonging to that community and like having my chosen family be queer um, has helped me to kind of just like knock that purity culture notion like on its head, like from the beginning and like, um, and there's just like a lot more freedom and like how I'm able to express myself in relationships and um, in marriage in the future or what, however that unfolds. Yeah. You know, there's just something so amazing about being queer that forces you to ask questions, but also like I said before, it just kind of blows apart um, purity culture, which is never accepting people for who they are. <laughs> it's all purity culture is always leaning towards suffering <laughs> you yeah. know and part of queer culture is like learning to accept people and you know their sexual variants and varieties in in everything so I've learned to like um like I know I know when you know I first came out and you know somebody told me they were in an open relationship I was just like ew what the fuck is that <laughs> and yeah and just like tons of just like uh uh, judgmental thoughts would just like pour out of me, you know, and trying not to say that to someone was ridiculous, but like you can tell when somebody's judging you. Um, mm -hmm. And on this side of the coin, having dealt with all of my purity culture stuff, now I understand that like, Open relationships happen. Not everybody is um, is is a straight or bi. There's like pansexual people, and like the the rainbow just like extends and goes on and on and on. And being able to accept other people also means that I get to accept myself and all of the things about myself that would never ever fit into purity culture. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's being so yeah, it's so freeing and like that. Yeah, acknowledging that diversity, like you're right, like brings so much personal freedom too, which I think for a lot of queer people is like sometimes the hardest part is accepting yourself. Mm. Yeah. Kevin Garcia's um, devotional on, on self-love is just, I think so perfect right now because it's like, well, I guess you're in Alaska, so maybe it's always dark. That's my thought of Alaska, <laughs> <laughs> but like this time of the year, it's like cold and lonely and you know, and like this idea that we don't actually need to be with other people constantly is something that I'm meditating on right now. Um, and so learning to love the self is, I guess it's, uh, it's at the top of the top of my, my, my prayer list right now. Um, yeah. yeah. How, how do you carry, how do you carry, um, your identity, uh, to the pulpit? You know, like what, what parts do you share with your community? Um, does being asexual, do you think help you to be, be, be a better pastor, um, or to connect with your, with your uh, congregation better? I think that being, I don't know that being asexual helps me to connect um, with my congregation better, but I do think that um, knowing my identity and, and owning it in the spaces that are safe to, to do so um, definitely make me a better pastor. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I mean, 
the identities that I kind of like carry most openly right now are like young female pastor because I'm I mean I'm 25 and that is like unheard of for (laughs) like any pastor in Alaska and then I also identify as female on top of that and so like when people see me or when um, my congregants like introduce me to somebody else as like this is my pastor people are like what like that doesn't make a lot of sense um and so that's a big way that um that I'm identifying right now and that I'm carrying myself which is like like I, as uh, I love being young and so I'm going to play the young pastor card as long as I can. Um, and then other parts of my identity, like will come into play. I don't think I like necessarily, uh, outwardly just like express a certain part of my identity more or less at different times, like from the pulpit, but they're definitely with me regardless of if I'm expressing like a certain part of my identity at different times. So yeah, overall, just the, the way that I know myself and the way that I'm like learning to love myself more is something that definitely carries itself with me and makes me a stronger pastor as I like work to help people um, understand their own identities better. And as I work to like help people, um, yeah, help people through like some of the best and worst times in their life. And that is, that brings me a lot of joy, like to do that work. That is really cool. You sound empowered as fuck right now. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I'm glad I sound like it. (laughs) Yeah. No, it sounds like you are living into your truth and living your best life. Like, you know, all the things that we say to empowered women. (laughs) Um, No, that's that's a joy to hear. What would you say to other, um, maybe even younger people who identify as asexual? Do you have any encouraging words for them? coming out in like a purity culture, very Christian-y space? I don't think you need to if you don't want to. I think that Mm. um, it's important to understand that people aren't going to understand you completely and you might not even understand your own identity completely because you're not getting to like read up all these on all these like different blogs or like watch these different movies where you're represented and that's, um, that's tough, but it's also okay to like say, this is the, like, this is the letter in the acronym that fits me best today. And like, you're going to have to deal with it. Even if I'm like confusing to you, I think that's what I would say. And I would also just say that like, there's nothing like abnormal about you because you, um, have a different like type of like you express attraction in different ways or like you don't experience sexual attraction or you only experience sexual attraction when you like are in like an emotional uh have an emotional connection with people like none of that is is abnormal because we all like belong and like operate on a spectrum and the asexual spectrum is like no different than any other wow yeah So um, the, the, I guess the question that I wanted to ask and I forgot to ask was how do you, how do you view like pop culture and like TV and movies and stuff? Um, how does, I mean, cause like sex is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that just like irritate you? Um, I guess, I don't know. I think that I try to, um, even if I'm not seeing myself in how the media is like portraying sex, I still um, find like the beauty in sex. And I still like think of it as this like really like sacred thing 
that people that two well who any amount of people I guess two or more people can engage in um and it's um it's important that I do that because I think otherwise I would get cynical and I think that you know like in the same way that that queer people like or um I guess like gay lesbian whatever people like have to constantly like look at these straight couples like on tv and like when there is a a same gender couple on it's like this huge thing like it's hard to just I mean I would be like mad all the time probably if I like every instance of seeing like sexual beings like having sex like on tv or like talking about it like if that made me mad every single time like I would just be sad all the time and I don't really want that to happen so and I also like I think like I think that sex is like beautiful and divine and like Mm. like Mm. such a good thing and so there's no reason for me to like I don't know what is it like yuck someone else's yum or something like that is that what they say Mm -hmm. I don't know there's no reason for me to say that like this is um there's there's no reason for me to think anything of other than like we have work to do and like I'm gonna do my best to like put my voice out there as an asexual person so that maybe in the future like I'll be able to see myself represented on tv or in the media amen to that there's only one um asexual character that I know on tv right now and that's Daryl from The Walking Dead and he is so freaking amazing do you know of I him? I have The Walking Dead. I should watch it now. You should, but, like, Daryl has, like, lasted, oh, I guess nine or ten seasons without actually, I mean, and he has had, like, these really incredible um, relationships with, I, with, with women where he gets really, really close, but when it comes time to actually, like, act on that feeling the way that, you know, pop culture expects you to, like, he's just, like, not interested. And I'm just, like so amazed at the ability for this tv show about zombies to also capitalize on this you know this 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 side of sexuality that is just so overlooked like this character is i mean uh women and men all over the united states swoon over daryl dixon um (laughs) but on on the screen like he is just like you know just doing his thing and he just doesn't he doesn't care and it is it is empowering to watch. Like I get excited about him not needing a a a um a, a sexual experience to make him um attractive, you know what I mean? Or to make him warm or to make him like inviting and treat women um in like a a, a beautiful way. It's just it's so rad. It's so rad. <laughs> That's so cool. I love like being able to see characters that identify in a certain way and it doesn't have to be like the main event of like who they are. Like they can have, well, I was listening to um, a podcast uh, called fat and faithful this morning and they were talking about what? how, what is um, this? do you, you know it? No, no, that sounds so cool. I'm it's look so it good. I love it. Um, and it, uh, they were talking about like fat erasure and how, um, there are like fat people in the media and there are like fat people, like even as main characters, but like, their fatness is usually the thing that like is a huge part of their storyline. So like um, the woman from this is us or like the, um, the Netflix movie Dumplin', like those sorts of things. Like there, even if there are like people who identify in a certain way, like on the screen, like 
we need to do more work to make sure that like that piece of their identity is not the storyline that like sets them apart. Like maybe they can like, I don't know, be like incredibly smart and also be like fat. Like maybe there like are more layers that we can express like in the media when we're talking about people whose identity isn't normally expressed like on screen. Yeah, man, we need more stories like that. I'm totally going to look up this podcast and maybe it'll end up being on the, on the app. Thanks for turning me on to it. Yeah. Jay Nicole Morgan is the, she wrote a book. I think it's called Fat and Faithful actually, but her and um, her friend have, have the podcast as well. And it's, it's really good. I like it. Dope. Hopefully our listeners will tune into that too. I'm all about lifting up other podcasters. It can get cold out here, yo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was so great. Where can people find you, Bailey? Yeah, I am on um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Bailey N. Bronner and for Nicole. Um, And my uh, website with my blog, I usually post like sermons from the week before at my church, um, is baileynbronner.com. That's so great. And I just want to thank you personally for being able to share so much about your story. It's never easy to talk to, you know, the world about what's going on in our personal lives. But I mean, you really did open up here. And I'm so thankful that you took the time to do that. My gosh, thank you for yeah giving me the opportunity. I think, yeah, if you if you can tell your story, I think it's important. And I find myself like in a position of privilege, right? can do that. And so thank you for having this platform. Anytime. This week's episode is brought to you by Quaker Speak. Quaker Speak is a weekly video series that features interviews with modern day Quakers and seekers on a range of topics. They invite you to join them. They've created a playlist of videos they think progressive Christians like you and me just might like. Visit them at quakerspeak.com slash our Bible app and subscribe to follow along. That's quakerspeak.com slash our Bible app for more information. Quakerspeak.com slash our Bible app. All right, guys, that is kind of our show. Thank you for listening to Lord Have Mercy. And you can actually find Bailey's devotional in the app on Tuesday, February 26th. It will be called Asexuality, just like this episode. One last thing about our Bible app before I let you go. For Black History Month, we invited guest author Mickey Scott Bay Jones to write a series. Find her devotional, Come Have Breakfast, on the app. And Wednesday, February 27th, we will have a fireside chat with her in the app. You can sign up on our bibleapp.com slash calendar, um, and you'll be able to commune with us inside of the app alone where we get to ask questions and listen to how other people engage with the devotional. I'm Crystal Cheatham. You can find me everywhere as Crystal Cheatham or on Instagram as The Cheat. And um, okay, bye.